My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. This last Wednesday, I was studying for this message. I've known about it for a long time. This actual message is the last of our doing good messages. It's the very reason for the whole series, and I was excited about it. But for whatever reason, I kept putting on the back burner. Had a couple days vacation. It was Thanksgiving coming up. I knew I'm in trouble. People are expecting a message. I better get to work. So Wednesday night, dropped my son off at Pastor Taylor's house. He was doing a leadership thing. Had about an hour and a half, and I went to Starbucks, and I start studying, working on it, getting excited about it. And within a few moments, this couple walks in, a young couple, good-looking couple, very finely dressed couple. They sit down at the table next to me, and they both got books. He's got this book from an author I like, and I haven't read this new book, but he's looking at it, reading it. And so I'm working away, and then within a few moments... A young man, about 18 years old, comes in, and uh, he sits down and starts a conversation with this guy, finely dressed guy, and, and uh, I, I, I can't help but be nosy, right? Because they're right next to me, and they're talking loudly, and so, plus I'm nosy, and, um, and I'm distracted, and I'm ADD and all that stuff, and, and so he starts talking to this guy about, you know, his success, how this finely dressed guy is successful, and he's a businessman, he's got a lot of money, he's got nice cars, that kind of stuff, he's made it in the world, and the young man goes, I want to be like you, I want to be successful, and the guy says, well, how did you, how did you hear about me? Well, I've got a friend uh, who, you know, when I graduated from high school, told me about you, that if I wanted to be successful in life, I, life, I should go hang out with this guy and learn all these principles, so I'm super intrigued here, because, you know, hey, I could use some more success. Success, right? And uh, not working well on my sermon at that point. So I'm sitting there and I'm listening and I begin to realize that there's nothing wrong with anything in the conversation, but deep at the heart level, this will not satisfy you. I began to think about this process that we in our environment, we in our culture are on a pursuit for success. I mean, I've bought into that. I remember when I was a high school student, I bought into that. I wanted to be successful. Lived just north of San Francisco, a little town called Petaluma, and uh, everything within me, I wanted to go to business school. I wanted to get an MBA. I wanted to start a business. I wanted to work for a business in San Francisco. I wanted to have a Mercedes and commute an hour to work every day and work in a high-rise building, Transamerica, if I could, you know, a great pyramid there, and come on back, and it's like I could buy a house, and then I could have a nice family, and I could have nice clothes, and I could have the things that I've always wanted. Because I grew up on the poverty scale, you know, without a lot of things and, you know, a lot of government assistance and, you know, living in different places and, you know, with different families and whatever. But the fact is, is that there was something in my heart that said, if I could just acquire more, if I could just achieve more, if I could just be more, there would be a level of satisfaction that I'm missing right now. And I want that. And, and I was listening to this guy talk to this young kid and he was saying the same thing. Well, my problem happened when I hit a wall. 
a roadblock. Actually, it was a person. The person smacked into me. His name was Jesus. And so I'm a high school student, and I read the words of Jesus, and this was what I come upon. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Now, Jesus is in the conversation with a young man, or this young man's asking Jesus for help on deciding a financial matter, and he's like, hey, I'm not going to get between brothers here. Uh, But I will tell you this, that you should watch out. You should really be on guard because you need to be careful about your heart because it just might be greedy. Now, I've been a pastor for 30 years now, and I've counseled unknown numbers of people, and most of them have survived. Um, but, but the fact is, is that I know that as people come to me, they're readily available with the need they have when it comes to marriage problems. I mean, they're just quick to spout that off. Or uh, struggles with being single, absolutely, I can identify with that. Uh, struggles with money, totally, I get that. Uh, you know, and all this biblical counseling is fun, and I enjoy it and open up the Bible, and people talk about all these problems and struggles that they've had, whatever it might be. And I may have to refer out, because I haven't had all those problems, I had a lot of problems, but, but the one thing that no one has ever come to me and said, James, here's my problem, it's greed. No one's ever said that. No one's ever said, I have a problem and it's greed. And to which I would say, great, I have a solution. Give, right? That's the antidote, because that happened to me. I was greedy, but I didn't know it. And I don't think most of us know it. I think we're kind of duped into this American dream reality that we have, that the more we acquire, the more we possess, the more we achieve, we will reach this point of this dream that will satisfy us and fulfill us. We will get to a level of success that will be enough. My friends, that's not the American dream. That's the American nightmare because it never ends. And we become like those little hamsters on the cage on the wheel that just spin and spin and spin. And we will never achieve that if that's what we're looking for. And so Jesus says, hey, wait, Check it out. Be really cautious here. Be on guard because you got to be watching for every kind of greed in your heart. And then he says this, life is not measured by how much you own, to which I struggled with and I still today because everything in our culture is life is measured by how much you own, right? I mean, that's how our system works. That's how Hollywood works. I mean, that's how all sports work. That's how Facebook, Instagram, all that. That's how social media works. The better you can present yourself, the more you have, the more people want to be like you. They want to like you, right? They want to literally thumbs up like you. You know, if, if your picture is better, they want to promote you to a level of excellence because you have more. And if you can acquire more, uh, build a bigger house or, you know, have a better car or a newer or shinier or fancier or better clothes. And, and again, nothing's wrong with having those things, but if that's the pursuit, you will end up one day realizing that it's never ending because you, no matter what you have, you won't be satisfied for a short time, but you won't be satisfied. It's like desires. We talked about this before, that desires will never satisfy us. I mean, they satisfy for a moment, but we never stop and go, I'm fully satisfied. I don't need any more. Our hearts always want more. And Jesus says, beware, be on guard, because you got to watch out for the greed in your heart, which was my struggle at that moment, because I really wanted more. And I thought if I had more, I could finally become the person that I always dreamt about becoming. And then he said, real life, true life, the best life possible is not found. And I heard this in King James back then in the abundance of your possessions. And all I could see was a pile of stuff. And I thought, but Jesus, I want a pile of stuff. (laughs) I like piles of stuff, right? Because piles of stuff make me happier, right? And Jesus says, no, that is not where life is found. True life, real life is not found in acquiring all of these possessions. 
And so I'm struggling with this, and I'm a young person, and, and I know my desires, you know, can be bad or they can be good, and it's like, what am I going to do with my life? And I kind of work through this process, and it's, it's everywhere. Everybody, I was in California, so everybody buys into this lie, and it was this just incredible desire to have more and to be successful. And then I ran into this passage of Scripture, and this just like laid it to bear for me. Jesus says in Mark 8, if any of you wants to be my follower, and that was me. I was a high school student. I signed up, man, I I signed up to follow you, Jesus. I don't want to just be a Christian in America. I want to be a follower of you. I want to be serious. I want to dedicate my life to you. If you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. I had to die to myself. I had to take up my cross. I had to say no to my own desires and follow me. So Jesus is saying, you can either follow your stuff or you can follow me, but you can't do both. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, the gospel, you'll save it. Jesus is saying there's, there's only one way that's going to bring satisfaction, and that is death. There's only one way that's going to bring life, and that is death. Because once you die to all those things, I give you the greatest desires. Because I made you, I loved you, I formed you, and I know what's best for you. And if you pick up my cross, if you pick up my direction, everything will begin to make sense. It's not going to be easy. And your level of success won't be as other people around you and your culture define it. And whether you have those things or not won't really matter anymore because you've died to that life and you've exchanged it for a new life. And he says this, and this is the set of questions that really got me. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? And I I mean, I wasn't going for the whole world. I wasn't like, you know, Howard Hughes or anybody like that, you know. I, I wasn't, you know... The rich, rich, I wasn't desiring that. I'm not going to be Warren Buffett or anything like that. I don't want to be Bill Gates. I don't want to be that. I just want enough, right? (laughs) But I realized I would never have enough. And he says, what would happen if you walked down that road and you seemingly gained everything your heart desired, but you found out you lost everything that was most important to you, which is true life? Is anything worth more than your soul? And that just struck me. It stopped me in my tracks. And it changed everything for me. And it has changed everything for me in all these years. I've, it's almost 40 years since I've been a follower of Christ. In one year, it'll be 40 years. And although my heart still struggles, and although my heart is still greedy, I decided to take what Jesus said as truth, face value. And I decided to stop looking around and saying that was most important to me. And I started looking at Jesus and saying, well, what's important to you is important to me. Well, that started me on this journey of discovering what true not success, but significance was all about. I know in American culture, the dream is to get rich or die trying, right? I mean, that, that's what's in our music. That's what's in our movies. We live in the richest country of the world, and yet we're not satisfied. We live very poor lives. We believe the lie that just one more thing will satisfy us, and it doesn't. And Jesus says, I can get you out of the rat race because it's not even fun to be a rat in the first place, right? Who wants to be that? And I will give you a new direction and a very new purpose. And the success that I offer is actually going to be different than what the culture offers. Now, the passage that speaks to this is what we're going to see today. And it's the very end of our Doing Good series. And it's found in Mark chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, turn to Mark 10. There's chair Bibles there underneath. Mark 10, verses 35 to 45. 
So I got to kind of get us up to speed here. We've been in this series called Doing Good, where Jesus is demonstrating this. And Mark, one of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all write about the story of Jesus, but really they're trying to get to the last week, the Passion Week of Christ. And so Mark gets to that, and he's, Jesus has already healed his last person, and he's done this in chapters 1 to 10, and now he's at the point where he's going to the cross. He's going to Jerusalem. And so Jesus just lays it out. He's got his disciples there. They're walking on the road. They're almost up there. And he, he pulls his guys close and he says, guys, I want to tell you what's going to happen. Because when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed by the religious leaders. I'm going to be handed over to the Roman officials. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be beat. I'm going to be scourged. And then I'm going to die a death on a cross. And in three days, I'm going to rise again. Now, that is an amazing prophecy and an amazing message. I mean, try it this, this, this season. It's holiday. You got Thanksgiving. It's already passed. You got Christmas. You're probably going to go to office parties. You're probably going to go to family parties. You're going to go to, you know, somewhere in your neighborhood, right? And you're going to hang out and just try this. I guarantee this has changed everything. If you, you know, do this and everybody's sharing what they're thankful for, what they're excited for, and you're like, oh, I got something. You get the mic and you're like, yeah, hey, I just want to tell you, January 1st, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. It's going to be over. The police are going to come get me. They're going to put me in chains. They're going to execute me. And don't worry, I'm going to be alive again in a few days. That changes every Christmas party you've ever had, right? I mean, that just changes the atmosphere in the room, right? I mean, because, excuse me, I thought you were going to victory. I thought you were going to tell me about your new resolution. I thought you were going to tell me about your new investment. I thought you were going to tell me about your new self-help plan, your diet plan, or something that could work for me. And you're telling me that, excuse me, you're going to die? And right after Jesus says those amazing prophetic words... This is what happens. Look at this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? He asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Now, now put this into perspective. Jesus has just said he's going to die, that they're going to scatter, that the Romans are going to take over, the religious leaders are going to turn against him. And, and all these knuckleheads can think about, these two stooges, is I want to be first and I want to be second. Not in that, but when you get there, I know you're going to die, you talked about that, and then you're going to get on a throne. I, wanna be on the, I don't want to be on your throne, because that would be kind of presumptuous, but the next throne, right? Isn't that great? No, Jesus, you can have your throne. <laughs> I'm so, he's so thankful that we give him his throne, you know? But the next throne, Jesus, and then the next throne. I want those positions. That's all these guys can think about, is I want to achieve this. We would call that success. I want to achieve something great so people can look up to me, so I can be right next to you, Jesus. When you take over in leadership, when you have that scepter, when you have that power, I want to be right there. Because if you decide to take a vacation, I could kind of step in for you because that's how good I've been following you, right? I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. It's absolutely absurd. But this is the only thing that's going on in these guys' hearts. Whatever Jesus said, great, just kind of null and void. Let's go on to the real issue. Jesus, would you put me first? That's how we define success. I mean, they're arguing amongst themselves, right? And so this is what goes on. Jesus says, whoa, let's stop for a minute. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Now, these are two metaphors that would really make sense in his Jewish culture, but a cup of suffering is an experience that a person would go through. Uh, You could take a look at the life of Job. He went through a cup of suffering. And in fact, the night 
that he's betrayed, Jesus goes to a garden called Gethsemane, and he's there, you know, with this experience hanging over his head, and he says, he looks into the cup of suffering, the cross, and he looks into it, it terrifies him, and he asks, Lord, if it's possible, if there's any way you could make this cup pass for me, but not my will, but yours. And so what Jesus is saying is that there is an experience. There's an experience that you and I go through in intense times, and it's a cup of suffering. And he says, do you guys even get this? Do you think you're able to drink from this cup? Now, some of you, you know, you already know what a cup of suffering is like, right? You, you've gone through a journey. You've gone through an experience. You've lost someone dear to your heart. You've lost a dream. I mean, there's been an intense emotional time of pain. And some of you haven't experienced that yet. Maybe you won't. But you know when you could look back and go, that was a cup of suffering. Now, for them, they're going to do it on behalf of Jesus, right? And then he uses the other metaphor of baptism, which is a little strange because for you and for me, we think a baptism is getting dunked in a baptism tank, right? And that's accurate, going underwater. But biblically, the idea was to be passed through water because later the Apostle Paul says that the Israelites, when they left Egypt, they were baptized in the, through the Red Sea, which not that the water flowed over them, not that they got wet, um, they weren't in danger but they passed through this experience and they so identified with God because of that. And so Jesus says to these guys, are you able to drink from this cup of suffering? I mean, this is going to be really intense. Are you able to be baptized with this baptism of pain and suffering that I'm going to go through? And some of you know about that in your life. Maybe not for the sake of Jesus, but in your life. And look at their response. Oh yeah, no problem. Got this covered. Seriously, it's like, yeah, we can do this. We're able. They don't have a clue, right? It goes on. Look at this. Jesus does say this. Yeah, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Now, so what's going on here? James and John, two of the earliest followers of Jesus, two of the ones in the leadership group. There's Peter, James, and John are mentioned at like the top, the leadership group of Jesus. Um, They make the same mistake that we are making in our world and our culture today. They're equating success with status, success with achievement, success with a position, right? Jesus turns it around, though, and says, okay, we are all chasing something. Every one of us, you're chasing something, I'm chasing something. And I want to give you the right chase. I want to give you something worth chasing after. Because again, if you chase something your whole life and you get it, you might open your hand and realize it's not what you thought it was. And Jesus says, I want to give you the best chase possible. I want to make your life count. Because we all want that, right? We all want our life to count. You want your life to count. I want my life to count. I mean, nobody takes a class at PCC on how to be a loser, right? Nobody goes, hey, I want to sign up for like failure 101. You don't need to sign up for that, right? Just experience it, right? I, I want to sign up for the class. It's the 102 class on Loserville. It's on how to be a bum, right? You don't, you don't, we don't achieve those. We don't aspire those, right? We experience things, but we don't reach for something that's insignificant. We reach for something that is the most significant in our own hearts or our own minds, right? In our own experience or what we see another person experience. That's what we want to do. And what Jesus is going to explain here in just a few minutes is so beautiful, is that if you really want to make your life count, I have the way. I have the path for you. But it's going to surprise you because it's not going to come the way you think it's going to come. I really believe that God wants us to experience significance. 
Now, we're on this search, though, thinking that if we get more, if we experience more, if we acquire more, we're going to be satisfied. And Jesus says, but here's the key to all of life and the greatest significance, in fact, the greatest success is turning the focus from yourself and turning it on to other people. In fact, that's exactly what he says next. As he goes into this conversation, the other 10 disciples heard what James and John had asked, and they're indignant. They're, they're rightly mad, right? Who do you think you are to be the best, right? So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Now, that, that you know is very clear because they were living in a culture where the Jewish people were captive, they were the oppressed people, they were the minority, they were the ones that were the immigrants in their own community, in their own land, but they no longer owned the right to the land. The Romans, the religious people, were oppressed by the Romans, the governing people that had different gods and different systems and different ideologies. They were the ones in power, and people love power, and they would crush the people under them. And nothing would be more exciting as a Roman soldier or a Roman centurion or a Roman governor or a Roman leader to be able to crush the people that are under them because that will demonstrate once and for all who's in control, right? Now, we, we do that at times in our lives and businesses and worlds and schools and things like that, right? We do that. Jesus is saying, you know how that works, right? People get to a position and then crush the people under them. But I'm going to give you a brand new way to live. I'm going to give you a way that's aligning yourself underneath and leading from above it through service. He says, among you, it'll be different. He goes on to say it this way. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Now, those are strong words, servant and slave, especially this word. It's really abhorrent in our culture today. And, and in our own culture, absolutely. The way it was expressed in their culture was quite different. But the idea is that you're giving allegiance, you're giving your leadership over to someone else, and that someone else is being responsible for you and caring for you, okay? doesn't mean you're not working because you're working hard. You don't have rights anymore. You only have responsibilities. And Jesus says this, if you really want to have greatness, if you want to be the level five leader, the top dog, if you want to reach the king of the mountain place, here's the solution to what you've been searching for, and that is this, you become a servant. In fact, more than that, you become a slave and you serve others. That the real achievement of success is found in serving. True significance is not found in getting to the top and erase the top, but it's found in getting to the bottom, maybe even racing to the bottom. That in our world of getting to the top of the pyramid, let's flip it upside down and let's really serve everybody else above us. And, and Jesus does this a lot. He talks about the first being last, the last being first. And, and Jesus says, if you really want to find out what is most meaningful in life, stop trying to achieve everything and start serving people. And then he uses his own life as an example. For even the Son of Man, and here's this last verse, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Just, just think about this verse for a moment. He's talking about himself. Jesus, this is his favorite expression for himself, his title for himself. It comes from the Old Testament book of Daniel. It's a prophetic title, meaning he's Messiah. For even me, the Messiah, God in the flesh, came not to be served, which if anybody should have been served, it's God walking on the earth, right? Uh, rightly deserved, deservingly so, but not. I, 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 I've sat that aside. I've humbled myself and became obedient to this, okay? I've taken on the form of a servant, of a slave, 
because I've come to serve others. I've come to give my life away. I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus' purpose statement, as it would be. This is Jesus' very challenge to you and me as a follower of Christ. So in other words, if you want to become like Jesus, you have to be like Jesus, right? If you say you want to follow Jesus, you've got to follow him. And Jesus was a servant, so you've got to become a servant. Jesus was a slave. That's a tough word, right? We've got to become a slave to others. And I believe that service, especially in the church and outside in the world, service is the primary means that God molds you into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, why is serving so difficult? Well, I'll tell you why serving is so difficult. Because we're selfish. We really are. We're selfish. You're selfish. I'm selfish. Deep in our heart, we want to be important. Deep in our heart, we want to be served. We really want that, right? I mean, we all have pride. Can I just say, we're all lazy, right? We really are. And we want someone to care for us. You know, we want to sit in the comfy chair. We really do. We want someone to hand us the things. We, in our deepest desire, we would love for our children to rise up and serve us. If you have, you know, children, right? Or at school, you would love for all the teachers to come up to your table at lunch and go, I'm here for you. You want an A? No problem. Just let me know, right? I mean, who wouldn't want that? Man. And our neighborhoods, don't worry. We're not going to send you that letter that your grass is too tall. We're not going to find you. We're going to come cut your grass for you. I mean, who doesn't want that? And if you don't want that, you don't live in one of those neighborhoods, right? At your business place, your boss comes and says, I, I, I know everybody's working hard on this, but I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you the day off because I'm going to take your job for you today. And I'll, I'll do all that for you, all right? That's what we want. In our hearts, we want that. I mean, we're focused on ourselves, right? We really are. And it's just the reality. It's the truth, right? We're the hero of our own story, aren't we? I know you are, because I am. I'm not, you're not the hero of my story. I'm the hero of my story. I'm an amazing hero. You should come into my head every once in a while. It's like, man, you know, we're the president of our own fan club, right? We really are. I mean, we don't want to advertise that. You know, we can nudge people in that direction. But we like ourselves, right? I mean, I like me. I hope you like me. I don't really care as much because I like me. I like you, but I like me more than I like you, right? That's how we all are, right? We give ourselves A pluses. That's, I mean, I'm, seriously, I got an A plus, right? Did you see this last week? Our president, he gave himself an A plus. It's like two years in office, I got an A plus. I don't want to do it, but I'm giving myself an A plus. It's like, we all want that. Well, no, no, no. And that's, I'm, the smart thing is like the A minus because then people go, oh, but you really deserve it. It's like, no, I want the A plus. That's what we think in our hearts and our heads that we can't fail, that we have done it right, that if people could just understand us, then we would achieve that. The Bible defines that as sin. The Bible defines that as this mentality is all about us. It's selfishness, and it's our desire to achieve something. But something changes when we step out of our natural desire. We begin to serve others, because that's when you find true significance. Now, when you think about this word ransom, I think we all get it, right? We all understand it. Jesus gave his life away. That Jesus willingly sacrificed everything, the power, he laid it all down, and he willingly died in a human court, un- unfair as it was. And he died a-, a human death for you and for me. Now, what was in charge in that day was the sword. The Romans their power. And Jesus says, I'm going to have victory, but I'm not going to achieve the victory by overpowering the enemy with the instrument that they use. 
I'm going to achieve victory and overpower the enemy by using a different instrument. I'm not going to use a sword. I'm going to use a cross. And so for you and for me in our world, we can either push forward with a sword, and I mean, it sounds kind of graphic, you know, and you know, most of us wouldn't think of it that way. That's not the instrument we would use today to power over people. We might use politics. We might use weapons of our warfare. We might bully ourselves through this one. We might push it, right? But Jesus is saying that we're not going to use the weapons of the world and the culture around us. I'm going to use a weapon that looks like utter defeat and allow that humiliation to cover over me and that shame because in the end, it actually is more powerful because, my friends, the, the sword is defeated. The cross is a victor. The cross is always more powerful than the sword. And I think as followers of Christ, man, in America, gosh, we get this wrong so many times. We think if we could push through, if we could rule over, if we could fight our way in, if we could achieve things, if we could, you know, get to the point where we dictate and demand things, which is the sword, that we could change people. But it doesn't change people's hearts. The only way people's hearts are changed is if we die to all that and we let Jesus be the victor. If we die even to what our deepest desires are and live for Christ. That the world doesn't need a bunch of Christians and followers of Jesus demanding all these things with their power. The world needs to see a demonstration of Jesus, which is we're willing to die even to our own desires and pick up the cross and follow Jesus, which means we will become a servant. So Jesus ransomed us so that we would be eager to serve. Jesus ransomed us so that we would have a new mission, which is a new purpose, which is a new position for us, which is not at the top, which is at the bottom. We know what a ransom is. We see it in movies, right? We see it all the time. We see the little note that comes in, a little email that comes in, a little text message. The best thing is still the cutout newspaper, ransom. That's like the best one in all the movies, right? And we read the note that if you don't pay this much money by this time, then your son or your daughter or your wife or your husband or dog or whatever it is, you know, they're going to be killed. And so we get all that together and we pay that hefty price. And Jesus says here, I have come to serve, to set a new path, and to top it all off, I'm going to give my life away as a ransom. Now that implies, that defines the reality of the spiritual situation that you and I are in bondage and you and I can't get out of it on our own power. The Bible says that you and I are in bondage to sin. It's not a pretty word. It's not a pretty picture. You may not feel like it. You may not think it. But the Bible says you're in bondage. And if you think you're not in bondage, you're in the worst bondage of all, right? Because you're self-deceived, right? I know that's really harsh. I know that's, you know, offensive to say in our culture today. But we are in bondage, and we can't get out of it. And so God, in his love, comes down and gives his life for you and for me. And he pays the ransom price. And the price is beyond what we could ever pay. And so he pays it for us. He dies a death that we could never fully pay for. Even in our greatest attempt, it would be nothing to merit the achievement of reconnecting with God. And so Jesus comes in and does it for us long before we ever loved him, long before we ever reached out to him. He chose us. God chose us in Christ. And he gave his son for us. And so now all we need to do is respond to that and receive that and say, sign me up. That's what I want because I'm in bondage. Now, the problem is, is that that's an offensive message in our culture because in our modern, you know, way of thinking and our educated way of thinking, we're like, nobody's in bondage. 
Well, that works fine until you find yourself in bondage. <laughs> That's why I love AA and NA so much. We have AA and NA, uh, you know, at sunrise on the weekends on Saturday night. You know, when, when, when the alcoholics show up and the narcotics-addicted people show up, it's like, I love these people. These are great. Um, I was talking with uh, one of the guys, Ken, last night, who leads AA and has done it for years for us, even from the old building. And, and I just said, I embraced him. I said, man, I love you. I just thank you for doing what you do. In fact, I, I was sharing a little bit about the gospel message of AA, which is about Jesus, you know, and he's smiling, and he's like, yeah, well, let's just not tell a lot of people. They'll figure it out. And I'm like, no, let's tell people, and then they'll figure it out. Step one, right? You got to admit you're powerless. You are in bondage to your whatever, your alcohol, your drugs, your food, your sex, your whatever, your control. You're in bondage, and you are powerless to free yourself. That's step one, right? And step two, that there is someone, there is a God who's greater than you who will actually give you freedom from that, and he wants to provide that for you. That's just step one, two, and three of AA. And people all around our country, all around the world, are willing to say, okay, I'm in bondage to that. But around this room, are we willing to say, hey, I'm in bondage to something even deeper than that? My addiction is sin. My addiction is a life of selfishness. My addiction is something I can't fix on my own. Anyone who says they're not a prisoner is the greatest prisoner of all. But the voices in our head tell us we can keep working and keep powering through and keep achieving. This last week, I was going to visit a friend in Portland, uh, man, dear old friend, and uh, he's a pastor. And so I said, where do you want to go? He said, let's go to Fire on the Mountain. It's, it's a wings place or salad with wings on it, which makes the wings healthy um, when you put lettuce around it. And so I said, that'd be great. So I know the one on East Burnside. I've been there a dozen times. And um, it was a nice day, so I thought I'll take my bike. And so hopped on the bike, and, and I thought, oh, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll start this little GPS app because it you know, not only gives me directions. I mean, I, I know how to get there, uh, but it'll tell me my speed and things like that. And so I put it up, and everything's fine. The TV highway, go up 217. And I, I thought, I don't want to go on 26. Where's the fun in that, right? Um, I want to go on Barnes Road and Burnside. That's fun. There's some curves, right? Up in the hills, it's beautiful. Crossover Forest Park, it's great. And so I get up on that, and, and my GPS starts to yell at me. And it's, it's, it's a nice guy. He's a British guy. They're, they're immensely polite, but, you know. Um, but he's yelling at me that I'm going the wrong way. I'm like, I'm not going the wrong way. I know this is, this is Barnes Road to Burnside, and it's on East Birds. So I just got to cross the bridge and get over I'm like, what's wrong with this GPS? But it, it keeps telling me. Every intersection, it starts yelling me, turn right, turn right, turn left, turn left. I'm looking down. I'm, I shouldn't be looking down. On a, on a, you know, on, I'm, I'm on a bike, you know? And so I'm not very well protected if I do look down and something happens. And I keep seeing this, and it keeps wanting me to go a different direction, to turn around and go the other way, to hop back on 26 to go through the tunnel to get there. I'm like, that's ridiculous. I know the way I'm going is right but I have this voice incessantly in my head. And after a while, I move from annoyance because I can't stop it. I got two hands and they're on the handlebar and I don't have any way to stop it with my gloves. And so I just have to listen to it the whole way, right? And then it becomes kind of like fun for me. I'm like, how many ways could this person try to mess me up? You know, and so I'm going through this and I, every, 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 every intersection is trying to get me, turn around, turn around, U-turn, turn right, turn left. I finally get down into, into downtown, you know, Portland. I'm on Burnside. I'm going, it's like I just got to cross the bridge and get there. It keeps wanting to turn me back back to go back to Tigard or whatever. I'm like, are you kidding me? But this voice is incessant in my ear saying, this is the way to go. And I cross the bridge and it still is arguing with me, right? And I cross the Burnside Bridge and I'm just almost the place. And just before I pull up, it goes, the destination is on the right. I'm like, I knew that. (laughs) That's why I went this way. But the voice was strong in my ear over and over again. And I know that voice is strong in our ear 
over and over again in our culture that says the way up is up, up, up. And Jesus says, no, 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 the way up is down, down, down. And if you would trust the voice of Jesus, and if you've ever had a chance to serve, the experience of that, you know it, it will change your life. But the only way to really truly do that is if you've experienced the redemption being paid for you. Because God is crazy about you, and he loves you, and he doesn't want you to go through your life separated from him. He doesn't want you to pursue yourself as the king of your life or the queen of your life or the hero of your own story or the president of your own fan club. He knows that that's a losing game. And Jesus has come to give his life for us. And along the way, he said, if you really want to figure this out, you've got to start serving people and you've got to give your life away because that's the way I do it. And I've given my life away for you as a ransom for your sins. And I, that's... That's the whole reason why I left business school was to come and tell people about Jesus. And I don't know where you're at with that. I don't know if you acknowledge your bondage or not. I'm really glad you're here. I don't know if church is the first time for you. I don't know if you've been here forever. But I do know this, that the message is still the same 2,000 years later, that God so loved you that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, so that you would not have to perish eternally, but you could have eternal life. And God sent Jesus in the world not to condemn you, because we're already condemned, self-condemned, but to save you through Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you for uh, this, this message, because it's the crux of what we do at sunrise. It's, it's in our heart. It's in our minds. And as we move to Christmas season, it's in our home. It's a tree. It's a demonstration of the greatest gift of all. May we not walk through this season without acknowledging you as the one that came for us, as the one that lived for us and died for us, gave your life as a ransom for us, and turn our hearts over to you and follow you and live a life of service to you and to others. We pray in your name. Amen.